Pray with me, God, thank you for this great day, our hearts rejoice, because from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, your name is to be praised. The sun has risen and our hearts have risen in joy before you, and Lord, until this day ends and beyond, we want to continue to praise you. So God, speak to us from your word today. You've read our emails, you know our hearts, nothing is hidden from you. So God, speak, I pray, and your servants will listen, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. God is good all the time. time. It is a great day to worship the Lord and to be with you, and it's good, frankly, just to hear noise, if I may say so. I've been in a quiet house, Uh, St. John of the Cross said, my house being all quiet, well, that's been fulfilled in my home this weekend because... The boys are at college and uh, they've taken their cacophony with them and then, and then my, my wife and my daughter are on the, um, on the uh, Heartlight um, mission trip down to Galveston this weekend. They are, um, Melanie's playing and, and uh, Casey as part of a choir is singing in my friend Carrie Tillman's church this morning and uh, as a result, the house was very quiet, and I said to them as they were leaving, why are you leaving me all alone? They said, well, you're not alone, actually. We're, we're leaving you with the beagle and the guinea pig, and uh, it brought a sort of sardonic thought in my mind. I thought if things get really quiet, we might just release the guinea pig and see how that goes, you know, and uh, it reminded me of that zoo that uh, combined the exhibit of the monkeys and the, uh, and the lions, and they said, how do the monkeys and the lions get along? And they said, well, pretty well most of the time. Well, what happens when they don't get along? Well, we have to get new monkeys. Well, it would be that way with the guinea pig, I think, if we let her loose, so we probably won't do that. I wonder, as I left you last week, I said to you, take a sheet of paper and a pen, and in your prayer time, just simply say to God, God, speak. And I wonder what God said to us this week. And would we be surprised if God answered? Would you open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 19? It was only after I had prepared that I remembered that earlier this year we looked at the prequel, if we can see this as the sequel to the story of Elijah. We saw the beginning, the first part, the the first... um, set of Elijah's life as he won a great battle on Mount Carmel against 400 prophets of the false god Baal. And you would think after that that Elijah was not only undefeated but impossible to defeat. But I want you to hear the rest of his story. Let's stand together, hear the word of the Lord, 1 Kings Chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. This is our second of the profiles of prayer. We started with Moses. This one, the power of a whisper. 1 Kings 19, verse 1. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow... I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, 
he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up. And eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. And Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. and, And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. All whose mouths have not kissed him. You may be seated. Elijah could pray up a storm. Literally pray up a storm. I know you have prayer warriors in your life, but I scarcely think any of us have anybody like Elijah. In fact, James, when he's trying to encourage the people to pray, says to them, the fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. And for example, he says, now take Elijah. He prayed it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain. And then he prayed that it would rain and it did. He could pray up a storm. In fact, he did after he defeated the prophets of Baal. It had not rained for three years. And he got on his knees and he put his face to the ground and he sent his servant over to look over at the Mediterranean Sea and said, watch for a cloud. And the servant came back six times and said, there's nothing. You got nothing. 
And then he sent him back the seventh time. And this time, a cloud the size of a man's hand. What's that in the scope of the Mediterranean? But when he came back and said, well, there is this little cloud, Elijah said, run. And they went and told the king to run. And he outran. This, was, this is his great moment. This is, you know, this is his great moment. Elijah is, at this point in our minds, a sort of superhero of the faith. I mean, who can defeat? He's undefeated and cannot be defeated. He stands in the name of the Lord. And then one voice of one person drowns out the mighty voice of God in Elijah's life. When Jezebel says, I love the way the Septuagint translates it. If you are Elijah, I am Jezebel. And by this time tomorrow, you die. I don't know what you would have thought Elijah would have done. Uh, those who doubt uh, the stories of the scriptures say, well, this is just poor editing. You, you wouldn't put his greatest moment right next to his worst moment. But I don't know about your experience, but in my experience, the valleys are right next to the mountains. In my experience, it's a very short distance between the two. Peter on the one hand saying, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And just seconds later, Jesus looking at him saying, you remind me of Satan. Get behind me. It's a short distance. And for Elijah, there's nothing to do but to run for his life. And this man who has prayed up a storm now prays to die. But God doesn't answer his prayer. At least not in the affirmative. Instead, God speaks to him. Do you expect God to talk back when you talk to him? Let me die, he says. And God says, get up. Go out. Go back. Get up. Go out. Go back. And if we could be still long enough today to hear God's voice... What would he say to us? Some of us, like Elijah, have heard a voice saying, If you are Elijah, I am Jezebel. If you are Duane, I am discouragement. If you are Alfred, I am cancer. If you are Susan, I am temptation. And we hear these voices and somehow these voices are so shrill and so loud in our minds that we cannot hear the voice of God over them. Maybe that's why he has to go 40 days and 40 nights. It's reminiscent for me of my family's journey from Anchorage, Alaska to Fort Walton Beach, Florida by car. 40 days. 40 nights and in that time he has a lot of time to hear God when all of life caves in what then is God there does God care and God speaks to him with a whisper words that Elijah needs to hear why are you here have you thought of that this week? Have you examined your reason for being? Why are you here? And God is about 
to tell him why. When we commit ourselves to a life of prayer, like Elijah did, God will strengthen us when we want to give up so that we get up. Notice in this passage that when he, when he falls under the broom tree and he prays to die, God doesn't allow him that. Instead, God feeds him. I don't know what, what, it must have been like angel food cake. I don't know what the bread tasted like, but God fed him there and gave him water to drink and said to him not once but twice, get up. And when you descend, if you ever descend into that deepening, debilitating doubt and gloom that we call depression, the last thing you want to do is lift your head. It seems impossible to do. But what if God whispered in your ear, get up, you want to give up. He wants you to get up. I read about Roger Ebert this week, that uh, extraordinary movie critic who has had a series of battles with cancer. And he talked about his wife, Chaz, and said, she was like the wind blowing me away from the grave. She kept me alive. Elijah could say, God is like the wind, the Hebrew word, the ruach, the gentle zephyr in this case that breathes as a whisper, get up. The journey is too much for you. You have heard that it was said, God will never give you more than you can bear. But I say to you, God will always give us more than we can bear. But he will never give us more than he and we can bear together. Hear the word of the Lord today. There are moments when we want to give up. One of my seminary professors told me about Jeff Ray. He was a professor at the seminary. He had a, a brilliant young son, a promising teacher who was making a, different in the Fort, making a difference in the Fort Worth ISD. And one morning there was a knock at the door. Jeff Ray, the seminary professor, opened the door. The police were there and said, we found your son by the railroad tracks. We don't know what happened. To this day, it's an unsolved murder mystery in Fort Worth, Texas. What happened to Jeff Ray's son? And Jeff Ray found in his apartment, he found a broom tree under which he lay down. He put on his robe. There was a parade of professors from the seminary. Even the president came trying to encourage him. But Jeff Ray could not lift himself out of the despair of losing his son. And then one day he looked and somebody, one of his visitors, had left a scrapbook there. And in that scrapbook, as he turned the page, there was an anonymous poem. And this is what it said. I want to let go. But I won't let go. There are battles to fight by day and by night for God and the right. And I'll never let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. I'm sick, tis true. I'm worried and blue and worn through and through. But I won't let go. I want to let go. But I won't let go. 
I will never yield. What, lie down on the field and surrender my shield? No, I'll never let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. May this be my song. Mid legions of wrong, oh God, keep me strong that I may never let go. And Jeff Ray found the strength that day to stand up and to get up and to go out and to finish what God had called him to do. And my challenge to you when you want to give up is to receive God's strength. No, you can't get up by yourself, but what if God with the words that he spoke, gave you the power to do what he called you to do and said, get up. Don't let go. Don't give in. So he goes on the journey, but still he cocoons in the cave. Notice that. Who knew there was a cave at Mount Horeb? I said last week the people of Israel did not frequently make pilgrimages back to Horeb when they made Mount Zion the place of the temple, but Elijah is a singular exception to this because the worship of God has been lost on the people of Israel and even the temple is no longer a holy place. So he goes to God, to Mount Horeb, and cocoons in that cave and hears God's voice say to him, why are you here? Point of reference. When God asks us questions, He's not really trying to acquire information. He already knows everything there is to know. So if God asks you a question, it's not that he wants you to give him an FYI. What he really wants is for you to see why you are where you are. It's so easy to cocoon in a cave disappointed by family, by friends. We draw back, we pull in, and, and we slowly die in an isolation of our own choosing. Note well that he had a servant, the same servant who saw the cloud the size of a man's hand, but he left him when he went into the desert because he chose to be alone. Moses was alone because he was afraid of Pharaoh and took the sheep across to Mount Horeb. But Elijah was alone because he chose to be alone. And he has given up on God. He says, I've been very zealous. He's mad. He's mad at the Israelites, but if you read it closely, his well-rehearsed speech, without saying it, says, I'm mad at God. Why do you let people treat me like this? I thought we had a deal, God. You mean I'm no better than my ancestors? Because just for a moment, I think Elijah thought he was better than his ancestors. I mean, who else had defeated the 400 prophets of Baal? Who else had overcome? Who else had called down fire from heaven? And for him, it had been one miracle after another. The miracle this day will come in the form of a whisper. God says, go out. And there comes a mighty rushing wind, a a tornado, if you will. Melanie was sitting at the computer when I came in last week, and she said, "Uh, look at this 18-wheeler in the air. 
I looked and, you know, skeptical husband that I am. She was looking at those storms in Dallas. The, the video of that, wow, who knew with, uh, with cell phones how good our pictures of uh, tornadoes would be, right? And she said, that's an 18-wheeler. I said, that's not an 18-wheeler. Bang! It hit the ground. Okay, it's an 18-wheeler. <laughs> She's right again. And I watched this storm, and I was just in awe. I remembered when I walked out. It was May the 7th, uh, 1997, the year before we came here, that I walked out, headed to the hospitals in Austin, and I looked up, and from our parking lot of the church, I could see a funnel cloud. You, you don't think clearly in these times. I ran inside and said to the secretaries, you want to see a real funnel cloud? <laughs> then I got in my car and tried to outrun it. I, I, I could see the tornado in my rearview mirror as I drove down 183 trying to get home. Picked up one boy underneath each arm. They were running around in circles in the front yard. I guess kids sense something's up. I don't know. Called Melanie down. We huddled in the, the one interior room of our house and I could show you on a map how the tornado made a right turn before it got to our house. Wiped out 100 homes in our subdivision. Kenny and Robbie Intrican, fifth and third grade little boys, parents at work, they're, they're alone in their house when the, when, when the tornado hits. Their house, I'll never forget, shifted on its axis. They went outside when the storm had passed looked at their garage and saw that the cage that had been on the side of their garage had been torn off by the storm, their pet rabbit in the cage. They began to walk up and down the streets looking for their pet rabbit. When a neighbor opened the door and said, are you boys looking for a rabbit? (laughs) Yes, we are. Yes, ma'am. And she said, come in. And she invited them into, our, into their living room where, where the storm had lifted the cage off the garage, taking it over the Intrican's house, taking it through the plate glass window in front of this lady's house and deposited it in her living room. And, and the rabbit was, was at least physically unharmed. <laughs> the rabbit's name? Zippy. I'm not making it up. Zippy zipped right over the roof right through the window because the wind of God the wind of God can be devastating and sometimes it can be protecting and healing and the wind God is not in the wind and he's not in the earthquake I've been through those I'll spare you the stories he's not in the fire but then there's a whisper And when Elijah hears the whisper, he walks out and God asks him again, why are you here? And you would think that earth, wind, and fire would have changed his mind. But nope, exact same speech. Pity party part two. It's God, how can you possibly let this happen to me? And God says to him, go back. Go back the way you came. And by the way, you're not alone. I have not seven, not 700, but 7,000 who have never bowed the knee to Baal. You, you're choosing to be alone, but you don't have to be alone. 
because there are others who worship me. And when he leaves Mount Horeb and heads back, Jezebel is still alive. She is still breathing threats. But finally, God's voice is louder than her voice. And this is the power of a whisper. God says there are 7,000. One of them is named Elisha. He'll throw his cloak over his shoulders. And Elisha will live with a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And, and there's a, another prophet in chapter 22. Read the rest of First Kings this week, if you will, and see there's a prophet in chapter 20, verse 35, who confronts Ahab. And then in chapter 22, there's Micaiah, who is unforgettable. He just thought he was a one-man show. God had an amazing team of prophets and people. And when Elijah realized it, then he connected himself with the people of God again. And that changed everything. The hard part for us is being still enough to hear the voice of God. Frederick Faber uh, says uh, God is, is constantly whispering to us, but we can't hear him because of all the noise around us. It's only when we, when we don't hear because of the noise and hurry and distraction life causes as it rushes on, but when we are still and we know that he is God, then he whispers. I wonder what would God say to us if he whispered to us today? Marianne Bird tells about a day when she was a second or third grader. They were doing the hearing test back before they had little machines that went beep. They had the whisper test, thus the name of her book. And the whisper test was the teacher on one side of the door and the child on the other. And the teacher would whisper something, the sky is blue, my shoes are new. And the child would repeat it back. And here was Marianne Bird, who had all of her life answered questions about why she was different, born with a limitation that was very visible for all to see. She made up stories to explain why she was different. She said, God must have put the words in that teacher's mouth that day. The seven words that changed my life. Because when I went on the other side of the door... I clearly heard her say, I wish you were my little girl. And that made all the difference in her life. And if we could hear God's voice today, we would hear him say, I want you to be my child. And I want you to serve me. And you may have given up on me but I have not given up on you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your infinite power. We stand in awe, Lord, of uh, the light shows that you provide in thunderstorms. We panic, Lord, when we hear about a tornado warning or a hurricane circling in the gulf. But Father, today, I pray that above every other sound we would hear your still small voice and experience the power of a whisper. Call us to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.